Hey guys, welcome back for another episode of the Altmed Potty podcast. Um, <laughs> the potty. So I'm using your language, Mitch. You love calling it the potty. And yeah, I it's the potty. Hearing, it's definitely well, you, potty. It sounds like potty and I get a little bit confused. I, I'm a potty mouth. You are a potty mouth, um, as am I, apparently, as the co-host. Um, but as you can tell, listeners, Mitch is in the house. We have a very special guest in the house today as well. It is Dr. Nick Jamara. And he is a GP at MCGP, but he's done a lot of interesting stuff around that as well. And he's about to dive right in and talk to us. But Dr. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. No problem, Andrew. It's nice to see you guys again. <laughs> Good to Absolute see you pleasure. too. And I think for the next 40 minutes, you're going to be a potty mouth too. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep the uh, professionalism up. <laughs> as long as we got somebody needs to around here. Yeah. Um, now, very good. So, you've been a, a medicinal cannabis prescriber for a little while now. Um, but before that life, what were you doing and how did you fall into that space? Um, I, so, I'm a general practitioner by trade and by qualification. Um, and I've been prescribing now probably almost two years. And fell into it very accidentally. I was living and working on Magnetic Island, as I think you guys know, and was just running, you know, a lot of patients with pain and mental health and anti-inflammatories. And I was just running aground. A lot of the medicines just weren't working or causing side effects. And um, I fell into it very accidentally, actually. Um, it was actually a... a, a waitress at one of the local restaurants questioned me whether or not I prescribed cannabis and initially I scoffed at the idea actually um, because the fairly high usage on the island and I said I said something like oh everyone would come and see me if I did that and um, <laughs> and I remember that night I, I was sort of shocked at my own um, belligerence really and I was like yeah how do I prescribe cannabis and how can I use it and I and I swear I sat down after the kids went to, bed, went to bed and six hours later, I was still on the computer and I'd researched everything and completed several modules. And I literally started the next day. Wow. Um, I, I had my first patient was a sort of 70 year old lady and she came in, she had pain, inflammation of her knees. She needed sleeping tablets. She had gut issues. She, she was on like five or six different things. And I said, oh, does it work? She said, no. Nah. And I said, all right, why don't we try it? And she was literally my first patient the next day and we, I fumbled through the process of the SASB approach and literally started from then. I think by the end of the week I had five or six people on it and it's, and it's literally just rolled from there to uh, now I probably have 400 patients or so all over the um, country. And, and, and what, were, what were the kinds of results that you, you saw for some of these patients? Um, they were amazing. I mean, initially, as you know, they were amazing. People would come in and um, they'd say their pain was gone. They'd, they'd sort of almost within a month or so naturally weaned off their other medications that were causing them probably side effects or harm or gut issues or daytime drowsiness. Um, but yeah, pain improved, sleep improved, anxiety improved. Um, I had a few people with epilepsy early on. Who, who on quite high-dose CBD in the end um, had reduced seizures. Um, a lot of people sort of, they, they, had, they had benefits in symptoms they almost didn't even know they had because they got so used to it. 
it was like, oh, my, my hands aren't sore anymore. I didn't even realize what it's like not to have sore hands and my gut's better and I'm sleeping better and my wife says I'm happier. It's sort of, it, it just, um, I think my early patients were so successful. At, and I mean, really it's been, they're, they're all pretty successful if you get the prescribing right and get the right sort of cannabis into them, mm. um, which we can talk about later. But um, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, we, we, we often hear people say, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that CBD oil is, is doing much. And so then they stop and they're like, oh, <laughs> oh, it was definitely doing something. Mm. I just didn't realize till I, I went back off it, mm. um, which yeah. is quite an interesting experience. You know, it's a, it, it shows how subtle it is. And I guess when you're thinking about it, restoring homeostasis, it, it might not feel like it's doing much if you're in a homeostatic kind of uh, position, let's say. But um, yeah, that's, that's a very, uh, a very common. And it's, it's interesting to hear that your story was born out of something that we all deal with, whether a patient, a doctor, um, or a pharmacy, anyone in, in the area, but this kind of stigma around cannabis, where even yourself going from, let's say, for, in layman's terms, a non-believer to a believer, um, it's still, there is that quagmire, there's that, that chasm that we have to close in order to say, you know, this isn't just fully fringe stuff there's there's science behind this there's there's people getting much better than where they were and um yeah how i'd really like to unpack a little bit more of that and you know has has the opinion have you had to deal with like negative opinions from from peers or colleagues or um because you're now a cannabis prescriber how does that work um so i think i think first of all i was never i don't think i was ever a non-believer i was a non i'd never really thought about it to be honest, mm. cannabis was nothing. Was was sort of cannabis has never really been in my life. It was I never used it when I was younger. I don't use it. My friends didn't use it. It was sort of nothing. It was never in my life. And in fact, my dad, who's a GP, he pres was prescribing it before me, which is just shocking, really. I can't believe I'm. He's he was more progressive than me in this. Um, <laughs> in this and he's still working. On, and so it was really, my reaction was really just this, it's almost a cultural thing that we do in medicine. That you mm. almost, it's almost an innate response because through all your years of medical training and it just comes out of your mouth. And it was only later that night I sort of caught myself. Like, Why did I say that? That was a stupid thing to say. What, I actually don't know anything about it. Um, what, what is that? What do you mean by that cultural training or? It's, there's, Medicine is generally probably 10 years behind sort of science in the sense that if, if you get a scientific discovery, I remember this was, a, I heard this somewhere, but if, if like a study comes out and says, you know, medication A is good for this, it takes about 10 years for it to catch on. Mm. It's not like, it's not like you get a email from the GP college going, hey, everyone, this works, here's how you prescribe it, go for it. It sort of slowly comes into our repertoire. Mm. And, and the general, and, and a lot of people almost automatically will say, and this comes to the second part of your question, that, oh, there's no evidence for that. And I have, I have people, like now with GPs or other specialists sort of ask me about it, they're interested, they're not non-believers, but they'll say things like, oh, but there isn't any evidence from it. And, um, I mean, at the recent conference up at, um, where were we? Southeast Queensland. There was a United in Compassion. 
yeah, there was there was a talk saying, you know, there's over nine and a half thousand studies now showing into cannabis and things. So this whole there's no evidence is just nonsense, really. Um, mm. So people actually, the, the response I get from other GPs and specialists is usually they're sitting on the fence, they're guarded, and then after me kind of passionately talking about it five or ten minutes, then they start sending me referrals because they think, well, why not try it? So I, I think mm. it's changing. I actually think it's changing for the better. Yeah. And, um, and I, get, I get referrals from pediatricians and neurologists and GPs and... Um, and yeah, so I, I think it's actually changing. And in, in terms of your background before um, medical cannabis, you you kind of do you do you have a kind of area that you I don't want to say specialize in because you're a GP to some degree, but do do you have an area that you kind of saw more of, um, you know, leading up to this? I uh, not specifically, though. I was always. Um, probably, probably mental health is my big thing. Before mm. I was, before I did medicine, I was a youth worker and um, worked in drug and alcohol, youth drug and alcohol rehab and detox units, and then went on to do medicine and worked in Aboriginal communities. Mm-hmm. So that's someone that I think it, I, it sort of naturally in consultations comes back to that. Yeah. But um, at the core of almost any presentation is mental health. Someone can't sleep. So why can't you sleep? Oh, because I'm thinking. What are you thinking about? I'm worried about this and this. And, you know, it comes back to that. If someone's overweight and has diabetes, well, why, you know, they know, people know what to eat. Well, why, why are they stuck in this habit and this addiction? Mm. It, it comes back to mental health. I mean, at the heart of everything is sort of mental health and habits. And, so so um, where does that, in, in terms then of, kind of the crossover between all of those areas that you've had experience in, you know, drug and alcohol, drug and alcohol um, social work, um, prescribing cannabis, helping people with, with mental health issues. I, I guess if, you know, and I'm, I'm really borrowing a line here from the stigma, but some people would say, well, why should anyone with a mental health condition be prescribed cannabis cannabis gets people high um you know why isn't aren't we risking someone's mental health by prescribing i'm playing right into their hands here but i'd love to to hear your sort of answer to that and and your experience um cannabis is yeah i mean at the I, i say to patients all the time your problem is not cannabis deficiency Mm. Except for those people that maybe it is who have the endocannabinoid deficiency, um, <laughs> fibromyalgia and things like that. I'm not sure if it is or not. I mean, it's still I, maybe they seem to do well. But a lot of people, if I have a lot of young patients, I mean, cannabis is a very safe, effective tool and is a fantastic um, treatment for people. Most people have anxiety. I have more, seen more people with anxiety um, than depression, depression. Um, sleep you know they have anxiety they have trouble sleeping if you don't sleep you sort of become depressed so cannabis is is i think the safest and most effective treatment i've seen i don't have anything particularly against the ssris i don't think that they're you know bad medications or anything Um, they certainly have their place 
and can work well actually because you know you, you can work on the serotonin system and cannabis works on a different system um, and so they can complement each other but you also i mean it's it's, a, it's still just a tool you can get your body into balance you can calm people down you can get them sleeping but their problem is not cannabis and fluoxetine deficiency the problem is early childhood neglect early childhood yeah. trauma lack of purpose lack of belonging you know more serious trauma you know in men it can be aimlessness and pointlessness to their lives and loneliness mm. and so cannabis isn't going to solve that but what, what i hear all the time actually is if people are doing psychotherapy they often feel they can go much deeper into themselves and sort of unlock parts of themselves, become a bit more fluid in their and, and creative in their approach to finding new solutions to sort of old patterns and old problems. Um, I, I hear that people all the time. They feel their psychotherapy is more effective. I can't really explain it. Mm. Um, that's it's almost that's more in the land of um, what we probably think psychedelics are doing. But um, is that is that sort of the you know, the ability to really, um, you know, try and deal with the root cause of, of what somebody might be experiencing rather than just kind of, yeah. you know, managing symptoms as it were. Yeah. So I, I think there's always a cause to it. Mm. People may not know it. You may, it may be been something that happened, you know, throughout childhood or something subtle that happened over and over in childhood that you sort of dissociate from or put a wall up to or you develop a response to that almost from a sort of a survival mechanism and people don't necessarily they're doing it and they don't necessarily remember what happened to them because if you're a kid and something stressful happens um you're, you, i mean this comes back to your nervous system wiring right that and this is like how we're wired as cavemen if, if there's a threat to you, you've got three options, fight, flight, or freeze. And if you're a kid being, you know, abused by your parent or somebody, or even if it's neglect, well, you can't fight them. You can't run away. And so the only option you really have is to sort of freeze and go, well, I can't behave like that. So I'll just sort of dissociate that part of myself, put it in another room, and then I'll be who they want me to be. And then if I be who they want me to be, they'll love me and they'll feed me and house me and I'll, that's my strategy. Yeah. And then you get to, you know, later in life and you feel anxious because you're not living who you are, who your true self is, and you feel anxiety and you feel like you're not on the right track. Or, you know, so why did I go to medical school? Why did I go to law school? I really wanted yeah. to do something more creative. And you say, why did you do it? And they don't really know because maybe something happened when they were four years old. So mm -hmm. it's, um, and so I think all, whatever sort of psychotherapy you do, whether it's with a formal psychologist or with it's, you know, someone who does uh, kinesiology or Reiki or whatever it is, at the heart of it is building a trusting relationship with that person and safely go backwards and see if you can find that core that core wound. Mm. It's interesting. It, it's, it's, yeah. It sounds a little bit like, you know, sometimes people wake up one day when they're 40, 50 and they just, 
end up going to some shamanistic retreat and doing some psychedelic like DMT or one of these types of things. And they just totally change and they move to Bali or, you know, it's like, it's, I'm, I'm being a little bit, I'm generalizing a bit here, but you get these like this deep realization event that usually coincides with some kind of psychedelic uh, consumption and they become this new person. It's all a realization that they weren't living their true self and they start using different language and, and different, um, different behaviors and different views on everything of their, their old life. And I, it sounds like it yet. That is a version of what you're, you're speaking about. Um, at least also that, that, that type of thing though, I would argue is typically associated with, you know, not in the, the sort of the maps sense it's not a clinically supervised trip as it were so often it's people just recreationally taking psychedelics which i'm not sure you know but it's not like it's being formally you know dosed necessarily in a in a a way that's understood by you know a person with a medical degree well that's why Um, you're getting these these seemingly random results out of that like it's just like lucky dip as to what what comes out the other side in in those situations yeah the substance might not have even you know we don't even know what the dose strength is and all those things that we're able to do when we legalize access to these substances for for therapeutic use um yeah because otherwise i i just think you know you are rolling the dice it could be a complete rewiring of your brain with permanent effects. I don't know, Dr. Nick, if you got any thoughts on people that do those trips to South America typically and do the ayahuasca um, retreats? Yeah, I mean, I've got, yeah, I, I do. I've got to be a bit careful here that I'm not um, condoning it because I think the, I mean, there, I mean, there has been lots of science still doing it. And since it you know, became illegal in the States back in the 60s or 70s, I think there's some of the pretty big universities have continued their studies on it. But it's what it, I remember once listening to a podcast on it and they said, it, it, so it's all about set and setting with the psychedelics. And so if you're, you know, if you're an 18 year old kid and you're at a party and you take something that you don't know what you're taking and you're in a bad headspace and you've got all this unresolved trauma and grief and you take... I mean, the, the usual dose of like acid during a psychotherapy session is about 100 micrograms. Someone gives you something, you don't know what dose it is, what's in it. So you're not in the right mindset and you're not in the right physical setting. You are bound to have, well, not bound to have, but you're, it's very possible you have a very, very bad experience. Mm. And there's also no integration after that. There's no like shaman or psychotherapist that can help you understand what you experienced mm. compared to, I mean, I, I don't know much about, you know, these Amazon rituals and things, but it's more, I mean, from my understanding, it's not you go out and you take it. Some, some of these retreats, you spend a week with the people and you set your intentions and you, you feel safety in the group and you connect mm. with the group. And then you have actually have a shaman who works with you and, you know, the certain chants they do with you is designed for you and they feel your energy. I mean, it's a totally different situation. Yeah, mm. true. Interesting. And the third, I guess the third thing is, which will probably, I don't know, I think it's probably five, 10 years away, is this psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Mm. And from what I understand, um, and certainly research going on with that and research here in Melbourne, that you do, you might have 12 sessions with a trained psychotherapist and maybe two or three of them, I think you take a metered 
you know, lab-produced dose of either psilocybin. I think it's psilocybin. And, and you normally have, I think, two psychotherapists, normally a male and a female, actually. And so you've already built a relationship. You've set your intentions. You have a goal of what you want to achieve. And on two or three of them, you actually take a substance in a controlled environment and have, have the experience. And, and then there's the integration afterwards, what it means, what happened. Um, I think most people have different experiences each time they do it. Some of them are, they say, bad, but they're not necessarily bad. It's just it shows you a part of yourself that you need to, you know, have a look at. And uh, if, if you were to help patients with this in the future, five or 10 years from now, would you insist on during the experience being referred to by the patient as the shaman or would you be happy to go as Dr. Nick? Dr. Shaman. Dr. Shaman. <laughs> um, I'll, yeah, I have, to, I have to think about that. Oh, um, just bringing um, it back to, to cannabis for a second. No, I'm, I'm interested in, in the things that you more readily doing day to day. So I, I've had this idea for a while now, and um, I'd love to kind of almost play it out with you if you would uh, you would allow us. Um, but almost like a mock a mock Ooh. consult for for cannabis. So I, you know, say I'm a a patient who comes in with uh, say depression or anxiety or one of these types of um, mood mood disorders. What would a, a typical consult look like if I came into you said, "Hey, doc, I'm experiencing, you know, I can't sleep. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't want to get out of bed each day, and and I'm, I'm concerned. I feel like, you know, I don't want to say anything too hectic, but you know, I, I'm suffering at the moment from anxiety." Um, my my consults these days can get a bit loose. Now that I'm, I'm out <laughs> we, of, we like life. loose. <laughs> um, I like authentic. I like real. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that I'm not contained to six-minute medicine. Um, so my, my first consults are 45 minutes, and they can often go longer. Um, so what I normally do, people, like, I, I'll do, I do telehealth, and one of the reasons I do that is because I, I've worked as a rural GP, and I'm trying to reach all over Australia to find these people who need the treatment, who can't access it wherever they are mm. around the country. Um, so I normally start, my, my consult's usually really casual at the start. I ask them where they are, what they do for a living, who's at home with them. Like I need, I need the setting. I need mm. this. I need to understand their world first of all because I, the way I prescribe, I, I don't have a set formula. I don't have a set. Everybody's on something different. I just feel it out throughout that, that time. Mm. But I really just, you know, do they, you know, are they working? Are they married? Are they separated do they have kids do they live alone do they drive and driving is one of the biggest ways i work out how i prescribe um and usually i try to work out really i try to work out what what the problem is you know um trying to think of an example It's always when you need to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, saw, I, I saw a young guy yesterday. It's funny, you know, I think but last time we chatted, we were talking about sort of recreational users. And, mm. um, you know, a lot of my patients are young men in their 20s. Mm -hmm. And they may or may not have seen traditional doctors or be dubious of them. Or they might have used 
sort of illegal cannabis for years, self-treating, and they come to me and they may not necessarily have a, you know, a paper trail of history of medication or psychotherapy, but they, they want to go legal. And so from a harm minimization point, I think that's a great idea, you know, because they often don't know what they're getting. They're getting irregular cannabis, irregular quality. Um, I wonder sometimes if they're getting like you know, a sativa-based upper when they when they really need an indica-based downer. It's sort of I kind of think yeah. you feel like if you're getting your mental health pharmaceuticals from the corner, and sometimes you're getting an antidepressant, and sometimes you're getting an antipsychotic. Um, it just doesn't make sense, right? So, so for example, yes, I had this young guy. I think it was 2021, 20, um, and. And I just started like hearing his story and really, I mean, he was telling me how he'd raised his younger brothers from an early age and his mother had abandoned the family early and his dad had to leave and he was raised by his grandparents who were traumatised, I think, from the war and they weren't present. And, you know, you unwrap this and I'm listening to this guy's story. And, and again, it's like his problem is not cannabis deficiency. His problem is his nervous system's wired in fight or flight mode because he's mm. had to survive from eight years old. And he's responsible. And now he's he's having trouble sleeping. Um, and I'm like, of course you're having trouble sleeping. I would have trouble sleeping too. Um, and he had a job. He was, he was actually a great guy. I really liked it. And um, and he, but he had, so he he had anxiety during the day and trouble sleeping at night. And so for him, for example, I said, well, you can't have THC during the day if you're operating, you know, machinery and things. So you, so CBD only during the day. And when he gets home, he was he was smoking, using joints and bongs. And so I said, and then he wakes up in the middle of the night because it doesn't last as long. So I got he, he was really open. So we got to use uh, prescribe some THC oil, better for his lungs, probably a lot cheaper for him as well. Mm. And um, I'll be interested to see the result. Actually, I think hopefully his anxiety is reduced during the day. He sleeps better. He probably saves some money and saves his lung health as well. So that's so you can only yeah. My prescribing you have to understand the person in their context. Yeah. Otherwise, you just I don't know. Is it is it different? Do you have find just out curiously for between men and women? that type of thing like I, I've, i often wonder that or is it the is it the same kind of thing that you consider for people no matter what uh probably the pretty much the same okay other than potential body weight implications for dosage maybe yeah maybe uh, I, I start everyone sort of start low go slow sort of approach. yeah of course. um with women do i change that well i guess you, you know concern if they just make sure they're not pregnant or breastfeeding but otherwise mm. not really, not really. Yeah. I, I am interested in the in the sleeping context because um you know a lot of people take thc for sleep um my understanding is that thc actually can interrupt rem sleep whereas cbd does not although thc is more likely to make somebody fall asleep whilst CBD is meant to potentially make people, you know, have better quality sleep. Is, is that, am I correct in that? Well, that's a good, that is a good question. I don't have a good answer for that, actually. <laughs> I um, have an anecdotal answer, which is that yeah, THC <laughs> definitely puts you down um, on occasions more than CBD, uh, depending on the strain. Um, well, you, yeah, you see, I, actually, <laughs> I, I, I probably should know that, but I don't know if THC 
decreases REM sleep. Certainly things like alcohol and benzodiazepines reduce your slow wave sleep and your deep sleep and your sleep mm. quality. Um, I have to look that up. Yeah, uh, that's okay. No, I, I mean, you but know, lots of people, people. Some people, though, I find with CBD, some people it does help them sleep, but I don't think it helps them sleep by, you know, binding to their CB1 receptors in their brain and putting them to sleep. I think what it does is it reduces their daytime anxiety, it reduces their racing thoughts, it reduces yeah. their stress, and therefore their threshold for sleep is lower, mm. and then they can get to yeah, sleep. But I don't absolutely. think it's actually putting them, I don't think it's um it's actually putting them to sleep. Some people and some people I think, you know, and, I, and that's one of the reasons I try to recommend the CBD during the day, because I think their stress builds up during the day and they get to nighttime. They're so anxious, so stressed, and they have to like shut down their brain using THC, high dose, you know, THC flour. And um, whereas if you treated it sort of during the day it's like a bushfire so like you get to the nighttime it's like a bushfire is raging you've got to slam it with water and the yeah water helicopter where if you keep it under control by the time you get home it's more like a grass fire i, I really like that analogy yeah and i think like actually what you when you were describing before this you know the patient who comes in who experiences some anxiety during the day and has difficulty sleeping at night i'm like i'm thinking that's got to be almost everyone in the population <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like at different points of the day, we all experience stress or anxiety about something. It could be, you know, something in the calendar that we forgot or, you know, you know, it's, it just, it's like all part of just living day to day. And I sort of rarely meet, you know, anyone who would say, you know, that they've got a sleep routine where they get themselves ready into a nice, calm, meditative state. Um, but yeah, I certainly would would think that relying on THC at the end of every day, you know, might not necessarily be the best way to do it, and, and to sort of manage it throughout the day is, is a better approach. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had a guy yesterday, who's an older guy, who's trying lots of trouble sleeping. He was on all these medications, and again, how does this go back to your question, Mitch? I and I've done a lot of training in um, integrative medicine, natural natural medicine, nutritional medicine, and so this guy was having trouble sleeping and i said all right well do you drink coffee he's like oh yeah i have like four or five a day <laughs> like and my last oh, one was like 4 p.m and i'm like well stop the coffee you don't need it's like well I'll, i can give you a little bit of thc and i think i gave him a balanced oil because i always think you need the cbd THC. yeah for sure um and i was like well, cut out the coffee you probably don't need me you're probably wasting your time with me i mean I, we can do it we can try but can you, you know, cut out some coffee because some people don't metabolize coffee well, and so that cup of coffee in the morning might still be lingering, you know, in your body by evening time. Yeah. Um, and I, then yeah. sleep is, you know, you do need routine because you've got to train your brain when to release the melatonin. If your body, if your brain doesn't know if you're going to bed at nine o'clock or eleven o'clock or one o'clock, it's just, I don't know, basics. Yeah. Well, it I is. must admit, I'm still still learning those basics. Uh, Mitch can attest to uh, the adventures I had recently with a, a non-nicotine vaping product that actually contained caffeine. Um, and yeah, <laughs> I got to I got to fess up, Doctor Nick. I did uh, did substitute this for coffee for a short time, and I just realized that things you do at eleven o'clock in the morning or even earlier 
are still lingering at 11 o'clock at night. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I'm still learning um, is the point of that. <laughs> I think you've learned actually that one. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm, do you know what though? I'm, what I'm amazed with recently is, but, I mean, I, I often talk to my patients about, you know, well, even if you go to bed at 10, you've still got to get up at 7. Like, get up at the light, go to bed early. And I'm amazed at how many people, you actually get them sleeping and their depression goes away. Mm. It's, it's, uh, sometimes I wonder if it's, if it's actually like true depression or is it just sleep mm. deprivation? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, I sometimes um, think, you know, we've all had a, a night out here or there where maybe we've had a few drinks and we've stayed out past when we normally would. Yeah. I haven't. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes I often wonder, you know, I've had nights where I've had to say a few drinks and started that during the day, been on a winery tour or something like that and gone to bed at a reasonable time. And it doesn't seem to affect me that much. I've been wondering lately if half the reason I feel so bad the next day is sometimes, okay, very seldom when this occurs, um, is uh, because I've gone to bed so late. You know what I mean? If you go to bed at two in the morning, that's also part of the compounding factor on top of potentially the alcohol, which, you know, we all need to probably curb at times, but, but, but that factor on top is just throwing out your circadian rhythm. You know, the whole, the whole system where I, I'd usually get up at say seven o'clock and now I'm getting up at nine or something on the weekend. And 2 a.m. is an early finish for you, I would have thought. Yeah, well, it's uh, it it isn't, but it's it certainly maybe on a Friday night, it's a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it definitely extends a little bit further. You, you strike me as a winery talk kind of guy, Mitch. <laughs> um, but it does, but it's also it's also the strain. I mean, um, it's also the strain of those days. Like alcohol puts a strain on your system, and it's sure. traveling and you know, you know, partying, and then you go to bed less hours of sleep and less quality of sleep and you know you have you put a few of nights like that in a row and your you know baseline is terrible yeah um, i do love the idea though that mitch is effectively pleading to a doctor right now oh doctor doctor woe is me i've been on many <laughs> yarra valley tours it's a hard life help me out um speaking of yarra valley and you know your experience in uh, magnetic island and, and some oh. of the more <laughs> um more, let's say, less metropolis medicine, uh, metropolitan medicine. I, I, I am curious to say, like, what is the difference, in, if at all, in insomnia patients, say, in the city versus insomnia patients, rural, rurally? Do you see a difference in prescribing or, or your cannabis practices in, in cosmopolitan areas versus, versus outback Aussie? Um, good question. Um, Probably not, actually. Okay, good. <laughs> um, the, only, the only thing I'd say to that is some, I do have quite a few patients on cattle farms, on these, you know, 10,000-acre cattle farms, and, you know, they've got chronic pain. They'll have nerve pain or something during the day, and they've got to chase sheep and ride quad bikes. And I think, well, the best treatment is would be a THC. You know, if you've got nerve pain and your nerves are being impinged by your back, you need THC. CBD is just not going to cut it. Or you can try it as an anti-inflammatory, but if the nerve's being impinged, you need THC. And so I say, well, can you, you know, are you on private road? Like they're on a private property, right? And so, and they go, oh, yeah, I can take THC. The boss doesn't mind. The police aren't going to pull me over here in, you know, outback South Australia. And so I think, well, 
I'll give you, you take a balanced CBD THC three times a day. Um, you know, obviously I tell them that the studies show that it still affects your driving for four hours or so after taking THC, as does codeine and indone and Lyrica and all these other things. Sure. Um, but some of these guys, I'm probably more like, well, it's not actually, um, you know, they're, they're, they're less likely to run into troubles with the THC driving on public roads. So that would be one example where I'd probably more likely do it. Mm. Okay, interesting. But, um, otherwise, not really. I, don't think. I was. I think we've we've chatted about this once before on the podcast, and there's different. Um, it was noted that there's potentially different stigmas that that appear in in rural communities versus um, city communities for, for, as as a factor that that people have to deal with in terms of cannabis. I'm not sure if that's been your your um, experience as well. Like, I, I mean, you're saying even when you first started prescribing, you were saying you just you know everybody will come see me if i just start doing this like i i don't know if you think the same way if you're in a in the city i'm not i'm not sure maybe you would but um yeah i just I thought that was interesting like, there's probably some of these country towns oh maybe more of a stigma mm. is magnetic island does it have a feel of even though it's you know beautiful crystal waters and people snorkeling does it have a bit of a kind of a country feel to it no it's um <laughs> No, crystal waters, deadly jellyfish, death adders, <laughs> crocodiles. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's not. It's um. No, it's not country. It's because uh, really, it's a tourist island. Mostly, it's tourist and tourism. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 sort of no, not really. Okay. <laughs> There's your answer, Andrew. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's very, no, it's very different. I mean, the country, some of the out that sort of more remote general practices are more probably what you're thinking about sort of rural Australia. Yeah. Um, I've got a good question, actually. When talking about balanced oils that you were just describing, I've heard this, um, a a few doctors refer or talk about instead of balanced oils using a CBD and THC product Mm -hmm. together to get a different effect than say just a standard balanced oil. Do you have any views on that? Um, I do it if, yeah, I think it's a good idea if people can, if they can sort of understand the concept. Mm-hmm. I did that yeah, with someone yes, yesterday, actually. I had a, 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 another patient who was on a balance, but I was like, no, no, you need a little bit more CBD and then almost top up with THC during the day. Yeah. Um, and she sort of got the concept. If we'd started on a balanced, I think we made, no, it was a CBD dominant, it was like a 20 to 5 oil. and I thought, no, no, she actually needs more CBD for her anxiety and her sore knees and then probably a top-up of THC. I th- look, I think it's a good idea. I think CBD is, in my opinion, CBD is the baseline. Like yeah. I, I prescribe in layers. Yeah. CBD oil overwhelmingly is the baseline. And then you add THC and then maybe you add like a flower or something for breakthrough pain or there's some mouth sprays now that sort of fast-acting relief. But I think if you get the, you know, the CBD right, the THC oil right, there's really less of a need for flour and these other fast-acting things. Um, so I'm just curious, in terms of, um, I, I, yeah, I know we're kind of jumping all over the place, but I, I just want to kind of also, because some of our listeners might not have even been yet to see a doctor, but in terms of this longer form 
um, consultation where you're really trying to understand the lifestyle and environmental and social factors that um, contribute to the way that, that someone might present to you. What other kind of things might people, um, you know, be kind of prepared to be asked about that, that you would be seeking information about? Um, well, hopefully they're asked, you know, um, you know, their own past history, family history, social situation. Um, what it, it, I, I find it helpful to know what they've tried and what they haven't tried. Yeah. Um, Are you, do you and, find on that, actually, sorry, just, do you find that people have sometimes already tried cannabis as a medicine, but recreationally or from the black market? Yeah, probably 30 to 50% of the time, I think they have. Or they've tried it like in the past, mm. like 10 years ago or so. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people have. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, when I look at my statistics on my patients, the average, my average patient is a 40, what is it, 42 year old working dad. Mm. And they mostly they've tried other medicines. They've got, they've, they've got, most people have pain and mental health and trouble sleeping. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. The, I mean, that's what this, when you look at the SASB, you know, when the TGA releases their results of what people are being treated for, that's overwhelming. So I think it's like 60% pain, 20, 25% mental health, and 5, 10% insomnia, and then the rest. Um, and so it's it's fairly consistent in that sense. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, I, I um no, I I guess. Yeah, I, I think most people who have gone to see a doctor, it's already just a, a courageous step to kind of to take that step and be seeking an alternative medicine. So I think the fact that you go to the lengths to kind of, you know, really almost plug into their world and, and understand what their expectations are, what they're, they're seeking to improve. So, yeah, we're obviously um, really big fans of that. Yeah, it's a, it's it's actually. I mean, one of my concerns with the industry is, I mean, I, I think that's what we should be doing, and I like being thorough, and I enjoy sort of finding out about people and working out really what is the, you know, trying to get to the root cause of things, and then using the cannabis as a tool to help them. Mm. But you know, like this young man I was talking about before, he'd actually seen another doctor who just gave him flour to sleep. Right. And that's fine, but it's just not the. I don't know. I just don't think that got to the. That's not the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're going to prescribe, and I, I say I inherit a lot of patients from other doctors actually, and they'll say oh, I'm on this product, and I'm like, okay, why are you on that product? And I think they're so either better quality products or better priced products, or by mixing one or two things, you actually can get a better result. Um, Flour, like I'm open to flour and I prescribe flour, but I, like for this young guy, he's 20 years old, there's some evidence that it reduces your IQ by about eight points in an undeveloped brain. So male brains mature at 25. Mm. Females are about 23. Um, and so giving somebody flour, and then if they smoke it in a joint or bomb, which is still technically illegal, I believe, and not mm. good for the lungs. Sure, he's getting to sleep and blocking his CB1 receptors and knocking him out and he's sleeping, but you're not treating his anxiety, you're not treating the underlying problem, and you're potentially giving him lung disease. Yeah. 
is that, I mean, are we doing, so I, I think I was thinking about this guy, it's not the doctor's fault, because I think that the cannabis is so subtle. Cannab the more I think about it, the more the cannabis prescribing is an art form. It's so nuanced. I think, it, I said to someone the other day, it's more like being a sommelier at a, at a restaurant, trying to yeah. match the wines to the degustation rather than just going have a red or a white. Um, totally. And then there's, I mean, then there's the problem with like consistency with products. Like I'll, I'll get patients on one product and, and, and particularly it's flour. I mean, flour is probably the most inconsistent. And then they'll get one good tub and the next one will be no good and almost have the opposite effects. And so, I mean, what's going on? Is it a, a different plant? Are the companies buying different plants from overseas? Can't get this one or we'll get this one? Well, different genetics, right? Different cultivars. It's like... This one's an upper, this one's a downer. Mm. Same name. I mean, I, it's, hard as a, it's really hard as a doctor to know what's going on, right? Mm. Um, what's actually, I mean, this is natural medicine. Pa patients sometimes complain to me about, they say they want natural medicine, and then if the flower is inconsistent, like, yeah. well, this, is, this is natural medicine, right? It's, yeah. They're not and pumping this out on a conveyor belt in a factory somewhere. Um, yeah. But the hard thing, I think, in prescribing is, and I, there's a few, I think, really good doctors who I talk to in, in Melbourne and Western Australia. And we often talk about this, like quality prescribing, the right products, the right using the right companies. And some companies might have good products and not so good products as far as consistency. And then if there is a bad batch, well, then you get a patient, you know, and you see that sometimes I get emails all the time, oh, this one's been recalled. All right, so then I've got 10 patients on that product. What do I do? I've got to find something similar. So it's mm. it's it's the um it's it's a real you have to it's keep right up to date every day what's going on and what the company's doing and the quality of I mean you're prescribing a quality medicine. So I mean i my prescribing changes all the time. I, I saw a patient recently <coughs> and I hadn't seen him for six months or so, and I looked at what he was on and I was like, why the hell are you on these things? He's like I don't know, you prescribed them for me. And I, I look back and, and in December last year, that was best, that was like the best we had, but it changes so quickly, you know? Yeah. And so... Um, well, that's why they've got the 20% kind of threshold for potency, you know, the, the, the TGA, but well, for flour anyway, you know, you could have a, a 20% that is permitted to come yeah. in at as low as 16 or 20, yeah. as high as 24. So... You know, they try to build in, but it's still, you know, 20% is considerable. I mean, that wouldn't be tolerable with a single molecule active in a, right. in a medication. Yeah. So, um, but um, no, well, Dr. Nick, we love what you do. We love your artistry. Um, and um, I reckon we might have to do this again at some point. Um, but yeah, we just love jumping in for a fireside chat with... Um, with a doctor who's seen a few things. I, I'd be curious when we next speak and you've spent a little bit more time in Melbourne to hear some of the differences in your clientele between the, the magnetic island crowd and the, the Melbourne <laughs> crowd. But, but uh, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think, I mean, to be honest, I've got, I've, I mean, I see patients, I've got patients all over the country. I think I don't, maybe not Northern Territory, but <laughs> every other state. Not yet. Not yet. Um, but at the heart of it, people are people are kind of the same version of different different stories, same underlying 
You're right. It, it's and there are underlying reasons why people are suffering. People yeah. are suffering with their pain. They're suffering with their mental health, mm. and they're looking for solutions. And, um, and yeah, just uh, whether they present to you in bordies and a singlet or a North Face puffer jacket, it's the same same shit, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, we'll yeah, we'll definitely do this again, and we're the um. Yeah, if if uh, if you're up for that, um, should probably get your buy-in on that one. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, yeah, we'd uh, love. Yeah, we'd love because I, I reckon there's more to unpack around the neuroscience. Um, yeah, I, I would love to to, to want to find out about REM sleep as well. Yeah, <laughs> REM. We'll put you on a bit of a homework assignment in the interim <laughs> and we can um, get to the bottom of that. But yeah, but just keep Phil- to keep up with your um. Just, you know, the prescribing patterns change over time. New products come out, new things happen. And, and you know, if we came back and had a chat with you in six months, you might be on a whole new tangent of I, cannabis. Yeah, I, I do that now. I say to my patients, they're like, oh, hell, can we review in six months? And I'm like, the industry's changed in six months. Yeah. You know, what's what's in, what's out, what's new, what's, I mean, some some companies now are offering concession prices for different products. And so I see people on... Um, you know, they're on healthcare cards. They can't afford it. The worst thing is people buy, start the treatment and then can't afford it. So, you know, I'm trying to think about that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's changing. It's, I mean, it's a great, exciting field, but it's still early days. And, it's very, um, very early days. Did you say before, Mitch, get on a new tangent? Or did you say tangent? Sorry, I thought it was a horrible joke. Horrible no, I just joke. You I've had do these puns unintentionally all the time, and I just I said tangent. To... Clearly, okay. I heard tangent. Anyway, um, well, no, thank you, Doctor Nick. We um, we're very grateful um, for your time, and yeah, we'll really look forward to doing this again soon. Yep. Let's do it. We'll, uh, we'll see you out at Debortley or something. Nick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Let's do I'll one see. live from there. That sounds great. Yeah. That's right. All right. All right. Take care. Thanks, Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Have Dick. a good night. See you.